We are at Job chapter 1, and today we're going to do an introduction, and hopefully we get through the first chapter of the book of Job, and it's a very interesting now book. It's one of the oldest, if not the oldest book uh, that we have written from the Bible. So a lot of times we look at Genesis and we see that Genesis is, is the first book chronologically that is placed for us to understand the creation and how God created everything. But we, when we look at the book of Job, it's actually a book that was written simultaneously around the same time of the events that were taking place during the Genesis. So this is a very ancient book. It's, it's one of the most ancient books that we have. And we titled this series that we're going to be going through this book, we titled it In the Face of Suffering. In the Face of Suffering. Now this title is so important, so impactful because of the storyline, because of the narrative that we get to see in the life of Job. And one of the things that we know, that we study, that we can learn from this book is the central theme of it is a life of patience and endurance. A life of patience and a life of endurance. As we study and we look at what's taking place in the world that we live in today, and we see the, the rumors of wars and the attacks and the counterattacks, we know that we are living in a time where endurance and patience is needed. And why is endurance and patience needed in your life? Because without endurance and without patience, you cannot finish strong. Therefore, we need patience and we need endurance. And this is a quality that you only learn, that you only gain through suffering. Now, as we are going to read the book of Job, we're going to learn that, that pain, and we, we realize that is a, a universal experience that everyone is going to go through at one point or another. And a lot of times we have the question, why do bad things happen to good people? That's exactly now what you're going to see and learn from the book of Job, that this man, Job, was a man that was not in sin. In fact, he was a very holy and godly man. But what happens when you suffer unjustly or without a cause, and you find yourself in a situation where you think this is unfair? <laughs> there are many times in our lives where we think this is unfair. This is unfair. I know that throughout this book, throughout these Wednesday nights, and as I encourage you, this is a, a important that on one of these books like these, that you read ahead and that you study along. Because if you do so, you're going to learn how to be patient in your own trial, but also you're going to learn how to minister to someone in their trial as well. It's been said before that you cannot trust the man who hasn't suffered. You can't trust someone who hasn't suffered because through suffering, character is being produced. It was an, an anonymous quote as someone said, As diamonds are made by pressure and pearls are formed by irritation, so greatness is forged by adversity. I'm going to read that to you one more time. As diamonds are made by pressure and as pearls are formed by irritation, so greatness is forged by adversity. That is the pathway to greatness, adversity. 
You see, the Bible speaks about adversity a lot, and we find ourselves reading books like the book of Job and ask ourselves, why is it that this was documented such a fatal, such a disaster, such a, 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 a very crucial and graphic now scene of suffering in the life of one person? Well, Romans chapter 5, 15 verse 4 tells us this, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. What is this book of Job for? Why, why should it mean something to you? It should mean something so that you learn patience and comfort. And through that patience and through that comfort, through the experience of this man named Job, you can also have hope in your trial. Because what we're so quickly and, and, and more easily tend to do in our weakness is to get discouraged in our trial. But what does the Bible tell us when it comes to suffering? What, what does suffering do? James chapter 1 tells us what about suffering? Why don't we turn there actually before we even begin? Let's go to James chapter 1 as a form of introduction into the book of Job. And as we see now what and how we are profited in trials. James chapter 1 verse 2 tells us this. My brethren, count it all joy. Don't count it some joy, count it all joy. This is the attitude that we must have during trials because trials produce spiritual maturity. James chapter 1 verse 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And then it goes on and it says in verse here, 4, But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. What does the testing of our faith do? What does the suffering do? What does the trial do? The suffering, the trial, and now the patience that is produced is making us complete and a more mature person lacking nothing. That's exactly why you can trust someone that has gone through suffering and has endured. It's not about just going through suffering. It's about enduring through suffering. That's why I respect a lot of people that have gone through so much in their past, yet they're still following the Lord today in spite of everything they went through. You see broken families and hardships and, and marriages that were split apart, but this, these people are just seeking the Lord, a, 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 a past of addictions, a past of, of going through hardships, but we are still here, we've endured, and we are still running the race. What has it produced in us? That, that suffering has produced patience. It's produced endurance. It's produced a, a complete and perfect man and woman of God that is lacking nothing. And that's what the prophet is in the suffering. Notice that when you are submitted to God, there is profit, there is value in suffering. There is value in the suffering when you are submitted to God. There is val there's something to learn from in that moment. And I pray that even as, as, as we're studying this book, that we would not allow any type of suffering go to waste. <laughs> you know how you can have suffering go to waste? You know how you can have trials go to waste? But not looking to the Lord and not being submitted to God and saying, Lord, I'm going to have an attitude of submission through the trial because I don't want this to go to the waste. I want to learn the lesson. In every trial, through every suffering, there is a lesson and there is value that God has for you and has for me. And that's exactly why it said, James exhorts the church, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. The, the church that James is writing to is a persecuted church. 
This is the same persecution that Job, in fact, in his life was experiencing. And he was experiencing it through suffering. Go to James chapter 5 now. Turn the page a, a few now chapters ahead. James 5 verse 10. And you're going to learn now how suffering is always now connected to patience. Everywhere in the Bible, suffering is connected to patience. There are times we want the Lord to take us out of suffering. And He's saying, in suffering, I want to make you a better person, a more mature person. I want to refine you. I want you to come out differently in, in that suffering. I want you to learn a lesson. Don't miss out on the lesson. The, the, the most spiritual people that I know are those people that have gone through suffering. In fact, I, I read a book once that said, if God's going to use a man, He must first break that man. And that's exactly the expense of being used by God. It's suffering. You want to be used by God, you're going to experience suffering. You have to be ready for adversity. You have to be willing to be vulnerable. Vulnerable to suffering, to pain. You have to be. Because that's what God does is He uses someone in James chapter 5, verse 10. It says, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example. Think about this. An example, here are two words, suffering and patience. <laughs> you see how suffering is producing patience here? Take them as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, verse 11, James 5, 11, we count them blessed who endured. Oh, that's amazing here. That's a testimony. You count that person blessed because that person has endured. Because that person has, has continued to fight on. Because that person has strength to go on. That's endurance. Strength to go on. We've had a rough past. We've gone through some trials, some tribulations, some persecutions. But count them blessed, those who endure. I pray that you encourage that person that has endured, that you know of in, 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 in your life maybe, that they have endured the suffering. They are still presently fighting and running the race. Praise God for that person because they've endured. And it goes on to saying, knowing that the test, uh, in, in verse uh, here, 11, indeed we count them blessed who endured. You have heard of the perseverance of Job. Notice that Job's name pops up in the book of James. And, God, and here, James is using Job as an example now of perseverance. A man that persevered. Are you a man, are you a woman today that wants to persevere? That doesn't easily give up, that doesn't easily quit? Do you persevere? Because that means that you have strength to finish. And in James chapter 5, he says, look at the example. Have you heard of the perseverance at Job and seen the end intended by the Lord? God always has an intention. The end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and the Lord is very merciful. God has an intention for you through every season and suffering that you go through. This is, this is incredible here because we're going to face this, this suffering in the life of Job that we go through even in our own personal lives where it's producing patience. You know what patience is? It's a character quality. Patience is all about character. And the thing about patience is that you don't get it unless you've gone through some suffering. 
You know, character, it's really fully displayed, not during the moments of victory in your life. That's not when a character is fully displayed. Character is fully displayed during the moments of testing. And you're going to see the character of this man named Job, that, that God allows seasons of suffering to test the reality of his faith, to test the reality of his love in his life. And God will allow these seasons in, in, in our lives even as Christians to test the reality of your faith and test the reality of your love for him. How is that reality even through suffering? That's when your character is revealed. That's character revealing suffering. <laughs> That reveals your character. That reveals who you are. You want to find out who someone is, look at them and study their lives during suffering. That's who they are. It's not during the moments of victory that you know character. You know character during the fire. Because that's the only thing that lasts in the fire is your character. In fact, in Job chapter 23, verse 10, and I want you to write this down because this is a key verse in the book of Job. Job 23, verse 10 that Job acknowledges this and he submits to God in the moment of suffering. He submits to God in the moment of suffering. In Job 23, verse 10, it says, But he knows the way that I take. Notice this. He knows the way that I take. Job 23, verse 10. And he says, And when he has tested me, Job 23, verse 10, I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and have not turned aside. Do you see how he persevered? He kept his foot in his ways and he never turned aside. What was he doing? He was being tested. And in Job 23 verse 10, we said, when he, when he has tested me, I shall come out. I shall come forth as gold. That You get some gold out of suffering. You get gold out of fire. You get gold in your character when it comes to the moment of trial. You want some gold in your character? You guys want some gold in your character? Something that actually is meaningful and valuable when it comes to character? Well, guess where that is? Is honed. Guess where that is built? Where that is birthed now? Where that is manufactured? It's fabricated in that, that place of suffering. God will compose the character of a godly man and woman through suffering. He will do that. And that's why I like how he says, I will come forth as gold. Why as gold? Because he was in the fire. He was in the fire. Do you notice how, how gold is purified? Do you know how gold is purified? It's purified in the fire. In fact, you cannot get pure gold without fire. Just like you can't get pure character without testing. Do you notice that? You cannot get pure gold without fire because you know what, what a fire does to gold? It melts all the impurities away now and it comes out now, the gold comes out as pure now gold. Just like your character. As you're going through the testing, guess what happens? The testing is melting away all the impurities and refining you. That's why we need the refiner's fire. That's my heart's one desire. That song, to be more holy. To be more holy. Is that your desire to be more holy? We learn here through the book of Job, I shall come forth as gold. Let us start looking at trials and testings and suffering with, with a, a panoramic view of how God sees it. 
and saying, Lord, I don't want to miss out the lesson. Let me come forth as gold. Let me come forth as gold. Because we see here that he responds to suffering well. Do you respond to suffering well today? Do you respond to suffering well? Do you patiently endure suffering? You know what's the best way to endure suffering when you're going through something? Maybe you're going through suffering right now. The best way to endure the suffering is to keep your eyes on eternity, not on the present suffering. There are times where we keep our eyes on the present pain of that season, and we, we, it's too easy now for all our attention and all our focus to be consumed on the suffering now. And now we don't want to do anything because we're consumed, our attention and our focus is consumed completely on the trial. And therefore, we're scared, we're living in fear, we don't want to leave the house. We don't do anything now because our entire attention is now on the suffering, it's on the trial, instead of being on eternity now where God has called us. It's so sad because I see, I know a lot of Christians that live this way. They live, they live in such a way where, where the, the, in fact, the, the, the trial has consumed all their attention and they don't live no, no more in faith. They're living in fear now. They're not living for the Lord. They're advocating now for the struggle instead of advocating for faith. Because they went through something, they found something out, and guess what happens? It has consumed all their attention. That's what the enemy wants. The enemy wants your attention to be consumed by suffering. As a Christian, do not let your attention, your focus be consumed by suffering. Let your attention be on eternity. Where is your attention? Because even as you're going through suffering today, you can remember, you can know, heaven is coming, heaven is real. The pain is only temporary. And we see that Job teaches us that lesson that his focus is not on his present suffering. It is on his hope that he has in God. Do not let any suffering consume you completely. We start to learn here even through Job how, how God is sovereign. He's in control and that Satan cannot do anything without God's permission. Isn't that amazing? In fact, he calls God Almighty God uh, 31 times in this book. God Almighty. Why, why does he say that? Because he realizes who is in control, that God is on the throne, and he is in control of every season of your life. And you might not think that this is something that, that God has approved of, but guess what? He is still in control. And there are some times where we don't understand why. And, and we, we probably won't know why until we get to heaven. <laughs> we're, we're stuck all our lives trying to figure out why. Just be obedient to God and keep living for Him. That's exactly what He wants you to do. Don't try to figure out the why all the time. There's some things that we're not supposed to know. If you're supposed to know everything, guess what happens? There would be no, the mystery would be gone of your faith and trusting in God. There are some things that you are not supposed to know. And that's okay. That is okay. Because that's when you learn God is sovereign. He's in control. He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He sees things outside of time. And He understands that with this place where He has me today is for my good. And I'm going to come forth as gold in the refiner's fire. How are you going to come out today? Let's go ahead and read Job 1, verse 1. Because we're going to learn the character now of Job. We're going to get introduced to this man called Job. It tells us this, Job 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. 
And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. And also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 5,000 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It's so powerful and true, God. We pray, Lord, that we would see the value in every season of our lives, including suffering. We thank you, Lord, because we know that even through this poetic book of Job, that we are learning what it means to endure, to have now a perspective that trusts you in every situation. Through adversity, let our character be revealed as gold. I pray, Lord, that we, you would give us perseverance. Maybe those that are getting tired and just want to take the easy way out, Lord, that you would give us perseverance. Maybe those that are discouraged and, and they want to disobey, that you would give us integrity. And Lord, teach us through the character of this man named Job. In Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. Now in verse 1 and in verse 2, specifically in verse 1, we're going to learn the four indispensable qualities of godly character. And if you like taking notes and you're a Bible student, I would recommend that you write these down. These are four indispensable qualities of godly character. This, this, when, I, when I read this chapter one, I wanted to stay there. I wanted to soak it in because these are qualities that are indispensable when you talk about godly character. And we're going to study all four of them to understand what kind of man Job was before we find out what happened to him. We need to know who he was. We need to find out a little bit about who Job is. And it says these, these indispensable qualities, this godly character, this caliber that Job had was one here. It speaks of, in verse 1, a man that was blameless. Number one, he was blameless. Job, godly character means to be blameless. Now what does it mean to be blameless? It means to be wholesome, to be complete, to be holy, above reproach, above blame, without blame without reason or excuse to blame someone now. He was blameless, wholesomeness. He was complete. But it also tells us that he was upright. Upright. Upright means that he had complete integrity, that he was a holy man. Now the word upright is, is a beautiful word because it also means he was without hypocrisy. He was without hypocrisy. He was also without duplicity. I love that, duplicity, that word. <laughs> it means that he didn't have a double standard. He didn't live one life of a character that was a godly character, another life a character that was of the world or of flesh. He did not have now a lifestyle that would now deem hypocrisy from him. He was without hypocrisy. He was without duplicity. He was a holy man. If you were to be examined in your life, would there be people that would say, this person is blameless and they're upright. They're, they have this, this just heroic integrity about them. That they want to honor God regardless of what takes place behind the scenes and in front of people, regardless of who's around, they are withholding or upholding their integrity now. They're upholding their integrity. 
A man that was blameless, a man that had integrity. But it also tells us, as we continue reading, in one who feared God. He feared God. This man was, had reverence. He had respect for God. But also, I, I love what it means to have fear for God. Because when you have fear for God, it means that not only do you have respect, but there is, there is a sense that you do not want to displease God because you fear Him. And I'm not talking about being scared. I'm talking about a respect. A respect about God that when it comes to the things of God, you take God seriously. That you know God means what He says. You fear God. If we all feared God more, what would happen? What would happen if the church started to fear God that, that, that really believed that God meant what He says in His Word? You fear God. You see, it was Oswald Chambers that said this, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Are you living in fear today? Living in fear of something, of someone, of time, of the future? When you fear God, you have nothing else to fear because you know He is in control. I don't have to live in fear because I already fear God. And when you fear God, you understand that He is above all and He is in control. Now, we're going to continue reading here because it says here, and He shunned evil. Anything that was, not only did He fear God, anything that was evil, that was sinful, He turned away from it. He turned His back to it. He didn't want nothing to do. He, he didn't want anything to do with evil. He shunned it away. He turned it away. There was no hint uh, of any type of drunkenness, of laziness, of a license to go out and to sin in the, 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 the life of Job. This was a man that was upright, that was, had integrity, that didn't live with hypocrisy. This was a man that was godly in every aspect of his life. There was no hint of disobedience. Notice that. Is there any hints of disobedience in your life right now? Anything in your life, any hints of disobedience? Any marks of rebellion? Because in the life of Job, you could not find marks of rebellion or you could not find hints of disobedience in his life. There was nothing. This was a man that feared God. That's what it looks like to fear God. Upright. Upright character. But it tells us here as we continue reading... In verses 2 and 3, the background of what he possessed and how he was blessed, because he was blessed about measure. And it says, and he, and he had seven sons and three daughters that were born to him. He had a lot of children. Not only did he have a lot of children, he was a notable and distinguished man. God was for him. Look at his possessions. And, he, and also his possessions. Not only he was blessed with a family, he was also blessed with possessions. Now, to be blessed with a family in that day was a blessing from God. It was looked at as a sign of wealth as well. He was a very wealthy man, but he also had possessions. He had the family and he had the possessions. I want you to underline when it comes to possessions, because we're going to see how much those possessions really mean to Job. I think it's important when we talk about family and possessions and then God. Which one do you love more? What order are they in priority? Who's first? Family, God, or possessions? Now let's keep reading. It said his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. 
So that this man was the greatest of all the people in the East. This man was a man that was recognized that there was no one greater than him because of his family, his possessions, his household. There was nothing and no one that was as distinguished as a man, this man named Job. Did you see that even from his character all the way up to what he was blessed with in physically and with his family and with his possessions, God was with him? And it says, and his sons would go, verse 4, it talks about his family. They would go in the feast in their houses, each in his own appointed day. So it says that his family and his children would take turns, his sons. And they would take turns and they would host parties in their houses. Each would take turns at appointed days. And they would send and invite their three sisters now. They would throw big parties, each of the seven sons. And they would take turns and invite the three sisters, it says, to eat and to drink with them. Now this is, their, his children like to party. Job's children wanted to live it up. But you, you have to love and you have to respect Job here. You have to. Because Job is not a man, and, and I, and I want to speak to the men here. Job was not a man that would sacrifice the family altar. He didn't sacrifice the family altar, Job. In fact, he sacrificed at the altar for the family. The Lord ministered to me when I read this because you're either going to do two things as, as a man in your house. You're either going to sacrifice the family altar and your family will be destroyed or you're going to sacrifice at the altar for your family because you want them to be right with God. And even for the ladies, are you sacrificing at the altar for the family or have you sacrificed the family at the altar? What is it that we're doing? Look at in verse 5 what happens. He's so concerned about holiness and he's so concerned here about being right with God. And it was when the days of feasts had run their course after they now conducted their parties and their celebrations that Job would send and sanctify them. He would call his children and he would sanctify them. Notice this. This is a, the job of a parent to sanctify his children. To cleanse them, to purify them. This is the calling of parenthood, of fatherhood, of motherhood. That they would call out the children and say, You know what? It's time for me to sanctify my children. To pray over them. To anoint them with oil. To be there interceding for the family. Because his family was important to Job. Do you see how Job is an example as a leader? See, this is, this is an example. This man here, that he would consecrate his family now, that he would sanctify them, he would consecrate them, he would separate his children. And notice that he would do it. He would rise early in the morning. He would rise early in the morning and he would sanctify his children. There were times in growing up, I remember waking up in the, in the, in, while well, it was dark and I remember my mother just kneeling at the foot of my bed, sanctifying her children. She was a, a woman that loved the Lord, that loves the Lord and loves prayer. I, I don't think I know anybody that prays more than her. And I'm not just saying that because she's my mom. Because prayer is needed. Do you see how he would rise up early in the morning? What was he doing? He was sanctifying. Notice this 13. And offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. He would go to the altar and these burnt offerings were to, for the forgiveness of their sins. He would go and plead at the altar for the sins of his children. 
Have you pleaded at the altar for the faults of your family? Have you gone to the altar and says, Lord, I'm going to come sacrifice at the altar for my family. I'm not going to sacrifice my family at the altar. I'm going to sacrifice for them. Because I care about them being right with God. This is where he says that he would rise up early and sanctify them. He was praying. He was burning burnt offerings. This man was godly, because, not only because he was blameless, but because he was a leader concerned about his family. That was his priority, his godliness. He wanted to look at his children and know that they were, all, they were in right terms with God. He wanted to see his family and his home be in order. And says, I'm going to rise up early. I'm going to call every one of my children. And I'm going to burn offerings. Verse 5, notice how he says this according to the number of them all. Every single one of them he prayed for. He took it serious. For their forgiveness for each of them. For what reason? For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, Job did, and what does it say? He did it once a year? He did it at the beginning of the year only? Job did regularly. Do you regularly wake up in the morning to pray for your family? I mean, th th there's so much that can convict us in just this one verse, that we regularly wake up and pray for those that we love so that they can be right with God. There are times that we give up from praying on those people that we love so that they can be right with God. Our primary calling as men, as women, whether you have children, whether you don't, it's to be those that are leading in the area of prayer for your family. Because everybody here has one. Are you leading in that area when it comes to prayer? You see how Job does it? He was committed. He did this regularly. He didn't just do this when they had the week of prayer and fasting for his family. He didn't just do this on a Friday night, the schedule. You know what Job was? He was a, a real priest of the family. He prayed for his family. He prayed for his children. You are called to be that priest type of your family. No matter what role you play in your family. Because your family needs you to be praying for them right now. Your family needs you to be praying for them. He was not only a protector of his home, not only was he a pastor and the leader of his home, but he was also a priest. He was committed. It was important to him that his children were right with God. So every day he woke up and regularly he went and he prayed for his children. Now let's read here as we continue in this verse, verse 7, verse 6, I'm sorry. It says, now there was a day when the sons of God or the angels here as we know it or the heavenly host in heaven came to present themselves before the Lord. But guess who also came? <laughs> this is it. This is just insane. And Satan also came among them. <laughs> this has to be crazy. <laughs> now I want, I want you to know this. Because we just talked about the family. If, the, if Satan could tag along with the angels to present himself before God, do you not think Satan is also present in the home trying to destroy it? Satan is present in the home trying to destroy the home. What does it say? Satan came where? Look, look, I'll underline that word, please. Among them. Among them. The Holy Spirit comes to church. You know who also comes to church? The, the enemy. Steal, kill, and destroy. You know who wants to go into your house, into your family, and your marriage? Satan wants to come among, among them. If you are as a son and a, a daughter, a, a child of God, 
are coming before the Lord, guess who wants to go and disrupt and destroy that fellowship? Satan, the enemy, the adversary. But no type of adversary or no type of adversity is stronger than our advocate, and that is Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's what we see even in the book of Job. That Job, what is he doing in Job chapter 19? In Job 19, he starts to plead for a mediator. I need a mediator, someone that's going to bridge the gap between me and God because I want someone, a messenger. See how Christ shows up even in the book of Job? And then in Job later on, he says, but I know even in my suffering that my Redeemer lives. That's amazing. Because he had a hope in the midst of suffering. You guys see that? Now verse 6, it said that the enemy came. And, he, and what does Satan want to do? He comes and you know what Satan wants to do? He wants to attack your character. He wants to attack your integrity, your uprightness, your blamelessness. So that now you will, don't really care about praying for your children. That now you don't really want to be faithful to your spouse. So that now you don't fear God, but you curse Him. That you disobey See, do you see how why it's important to be always on the watch? Because Satan wants to attack. And for the Christian, an attack should be seen as a test. That's going to reveal my character for the man and the woman of God. Now it says here that Satan, or another word is the accuser. Accuser came, it says, And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and walking from, walking back and forth on it. You know what a Satan does? He patrols the earth. He goes from, that, that is his natural domain, the earth, the world. He goes to and he goes to fro and he's looking what to kill, steal, and destroy. That is his only purpose of existence. And this, the earth, is his natural domain. This is his, his, the, the place where he dominates the earth. Now, we have to be very aware that we have an enemy. And very aware that not only are we going to face trials, that we also should be prepared for adversity. Now that we know this, when it comes to adversity, you, not only should you know this, you should be ready for seasons of victory, but also be ready for seasons of adversity. How do you do that? By rising up early in the morning regularly and burning now a sacrifice of prayer at the altar before the Lord regularly. Let's notice what happens. And I love that, that we learn that about Job because we're going to see his character when he's attacked. What was he doing early in the morning? He was, he was at the altar. When you're at the altar, guess what happens throughout the day when you get attacked? You're ready for that attack. Let's go to verse 7 and 8. Now it says, verse 8, Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant, my servant Job? Uh, uh, have you noticed him? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil. Now God here was, was proud. He was now uh, decorating his son Job for these traits now that he had, were, which were the four indispensable qualities of godly characters. Have you noticed my servant Job? He's blameless. He's upright. He fears God. He shuns evil. Do you notice the integrity that's coming out of my servant? You see how God notices your character? God knows your character. He notices it. And He speaks of it as well in heavenly places. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? 
Now, what is the Saiyan's main now concern or existence is to accuse you before the Father. You see how he's accusing Job before the Father? Satan wants to accuse you in the presence of God, but we have a defender that steps in, and that's Jesus. It says, wait, I died for their sins, Father. I've wiped away their sins. You can't accuse them. I'm advocating for them. That's not that amazing. That Jesus the Son steps in while we're being accused of our sins and says they're forgiven. I died on the cross. I hung on the cross for them. That's well, a beautiful picture that we know and we learn. Have you, it says here, does Job not fear you for, for no reason? It says, well, absolutely he fears you for good reason. It says, have you not made a hedge of protection around him? Haven't you covered him with a hedge of protection? Around his household and around all that he has, and every side you have blessed is the work of his hands, and possessions have increased the land. You've always blessed him. Everything that he touches, it just is blessed and it grows. Of course he fears you. Of course he loves you. It's like some people that just, we just we're in love with the Lord, everything's going good, and then you know what? I hate my life. I'm not going to church no more. I think it was said before here that you know your discouragement is not a, an excuse for your disobedience. Your discouragement is not an excuse for your disobedience. Notice what happens in verse 11. But now stretch out your hand. What Satan is telling the Lord, the, admini, the, the adversary, the accuser. Stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Go ahead, take everything that he has since you've been protecting him. And watch him if he not turns on you. What does he want to do? Accuse, to steal, kill and destroy. And he's going to start in the family. He's going to start in what he has at home. What is Satan's goal? To ruin your testimony, to destroy your life. It says in verse 12, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand in his in person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Notice this. Every trial that goes before you, first goes before the presence of God. God has to approve that suffering for your life before it gets to you. Isn't that amazing? That means that that, that, that trial, that, that, that form of testing has first gone before the presence of God before it can test your character. What does that say about the Lord? That the Lord is preparing something of value for you and He's going to say, I, I, am, I am looking out for my son and daughter and I will not throw them this their way if I did not know about it first. I find so much comfort in that, that knowing that, that my suffering goes before the throne of God before it gets to me. Because that tells me God knew about this. And if this was part of, if God allowed this in my life, that means that He has some spiritual value that He can now teach me through it. So therefore, God, your will, not my will be done. You see how this changes your perspective when you know that? When you know that? Now, is God's intention for you evil? Absolutely not. Why is there suffering, some would say? Why is there suffering if God is so good? Well, I have to understand, you have to understand, we live in a fallen nature. And when, when Eve bit that apple and Adam bit that apple, not only did we get sin, we also got pain, we also got suffering, we also got death, we also got all of that included. All of that entered this world. It was no longer a perfect world, it was a fallen world. Now let's read it, verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating, because the Lord had now approved now this test. Right? And he goes out from the presence of the Lord. And now there was a day where his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. 
And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, the donkeys were feeding beside them. They were all parting. And then a messenger comes to Job during that time. And when the Sabaeans raided them and took them away, what his possessions indeed they have killed, the servants with the edge of the sword, I alone have escaped to tell you. They stole your animals and they killed your servants. They have raided now your possessions. You have now been vandalized completely. Everything that you had is gone. And those servants that were taken care of, now your animals and your possessions are dead. Now you notice, I mean, he has to be like, this is a bad day. I'm going to start off my day bad, but look what happens. While he was still speaking. <laughs> wow, this, this is bad. Have you ever been in a trial and the trial hasn't even ended and there's something else going on? You, man, you feel like you, don't, you, want to, you want to punch someone, you want to kick someone. I can't believe this. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell down from heaven or judgment and burned up the sheep. Are you, are you serious? <laughs> burned up the sheep, look at it, he says, And the servants have consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Yeah, I mean, he, this, is, this is ultimate now. Testing for Job. Because as we go on, now not only are they destroyed, these sheep, not only are these now Sabaeans had raided them, but while he was still speaking, another came, this third time now. It said, and the Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels and took them away. Yes, they killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. They took all his cattle, all his possessions, all his wealth. They took his wealth. In one instant, he found out that all his wealth was gone. Just imagine if you knew everything was gone. It's not like someone they had insurance where someone can give that. No, it was gone. <laughs> he wasn't going to get it back. And it said now in verse 18, while he was still speaking the fourth time, another also came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in the older brother's house. Verse 19, And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness. There was something that came from the wilderness and struck the four quarters of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. That's, this is it. How do you handle this? You tell me that all my possessions are gone and my kids are dead? That's what happened. Have you experienced such suffering, a caliber of suffering of this degree in your life before? Do you see what's taking place here? Because we're going we're gonna to see what Job's response is to this. Now, he, he went from having the, 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 the beautiful family with the big house, with all the possessions, to having nothing in one moment. Do you see how this happens? Nothing in one moment. How everything can change in one single moment. Have you noticed in your life that everything can change in one moment? Everything can change in one You can get one call, everything is changed completely. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Now, look what he does. Then Job arose. And he does the only thing that he can do. He does the only thing that you should do. It said that he tore his robe, a sign of mourning and a sign of grief. He shaved his head, and he fell on the ground, and he worshipped. Now, do you think, in your right mind, that you would worship during this time? What is he teaching us? He's teaching us to worship in the trial. He's teaching us that worship is a weapon. He's teaching us that you can worship even when you take a loss. Do you see what he does? 
It says that he falls down and he fell to the ground in humility and worshiped the Lord even in the trial. What a, what a lesson that we can learn here. He's worshiping in the trial. He's worshiping in the suffering. Are you worshiping in the suffering? It's like that song we sing, I will raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies or my trial or my persecution or my suffering. I will worship. It's a weapon. I will worship through the trial. I will worship even in the loss. And look what Job does. As he says in verse 21, where we so know it so well and we've read it many times. And he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb. And naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know what he's saying here? My, God's will, not my will. He's worshiping here. And he says, naked I came from my mother's womb. And this is the way I'm going to die with nothing. Nothing ever belonged to me. It all belonged to the Lord. The Lord lent it to me. I had nothing to begin with. The Lord gave it to me, and the Lord can take it away. It belonged to the Lord. He lent it to me. Do you have the attitude today to say, it didn't even belong to me. The Lord lent it to me. Now you want to get some even some deeper revelation, even when it comes to your kids. They don't even belong to you. The Lord lent them to you. They're God's children. The Lord lent them to you. And the, just the way the Lord gives everything to you, He has every right to take anything He has, He, he, he wants to away from you, and he, has, he does not have to offer explanations. There are times where we, we, we experience loss and we want an explanation from God. God is sovereign. He is in control. It belongs to Him. He does not have to offer explanations. You know why He was able to say this? Because Job wasn't possessed by his possessions. He held everything loosely. He said, Lord, just like you gave it to me, praise God when you gave it to me, and praise God when you chose to remove it from me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If you want to take it, here it is. Take it back. Lord, blessed be the name of the Lord. Because nothing belonged to him in the first place. Are you holding on to something tightly that you don't want to give up, that you'll get upset if God takes it away from me? You, you will start to throw a fit. And it will reveal your character. He never held to, onto anything tightly. In fact, the only thing he did hold onto, the only thing that he held onto, not his possessions, but the only thing he held onto is he held onto his integrity. Because in the moment of suffering, when God tells you to give that up, the only thing you should hold onto is to your integrity. Verse 22, In all this, Job did not sin, nor did he charge God with wrong. He did not blame God. Why? Because he did not hold on to anything but his integrity. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you because your word is true. It's living and it's powerful, God. We ask right now, Lord Jesus, that you would teach us, that you would show us, 